Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Welcome to our Rosh Hashanah services, where we celebrate the biblical feast and the high holy day of Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, also known as the Day of the Awakening Blast. We hear the blast of the shofar. Amen. We just, we just heard. And that blast of the shofar is calling us to repentance. It's calling us back to the Lord and uh, to prepare for the soon coming of the Malkut HaShemayim, of the kingdom of God, uh, to be ushered in by that final shofar blast and the return of King Messiah, Yeshua himself. And to prepare for this, the Lord has put in my heart to speak today about revival. Uh, on this high holy day, uh, this Feast of Trumpets, traditionally known as the Jewish New Year, as you begin the 10 days of awe, 10 days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur. Uh, but today, if the truth be told, most of us here in the West, even among those professing to be believers in Yeshua, don't know why we'd even need revival or even what we need a savior for, or need salvation from. I heard an amazing testimony recently from some uh, Chinese children who were part of an underground house church. And several of them had had this vision where they actually saw hell. And they saw its darkness, they saw the edge of of a great lake of of molten fire in a semi-dark pit uh, from which clouds of smoke arose. And when the smoke cleared, a burning lake with its flames could be distinctively seen. And in this vision, the children were on the edge of a cliff, appearing down into the pit of hell. They looked and they drew back, afraid that lest they fall in. They were horrified at what they saw. The lost were seen going into hell, those who did not trust in Yeshua. Some fell in. Some walked over the brink. Some were bound with chains and and cast into hell by demons. And when the fire abated and the smoke settled down, the moans of the miserable could be heard. And when the fire at intervals increased in intensity, there were shrieks and wails of agony. Terrifying vision. We today have forgotten uh, that hell is real. Uh, because it's no longer politically correct to talk about it. Yeah, in Luke 16, Yeshua gives a vivid account of, right, of the rich man and Lazarus, Eliezer. The rich man is in hell, crying out for help to Father Avraham. You know, Yeshua spoke about hell more than anyone else in the whole scriptures, warning his fellow Jews to escape from the judgment, God's judgment. And in this vision, the children went on to see oceans of hands reaching up from the lake of fire, begging for help. But the children sadly replied, we cannot help you. When you were alive, you would not obey the gospel. It's now too late. Uh, I preached to you, but you made fun of me and rejected Yeshua. In another vision, the children were standing by the cross at the parting of two great roads. One road was narrow, leading to life leading to heaven. The other was a broad way to to hell and destruction. On the broad way, great busy, hurrying multitudes, hustling with busyness, carrying great loads of sins, were rushing along with the affairs of life, passing in endless streams, in countless numbers. And they were all ignoring the children who were preaching at the crossroads. They were too preoccupied with this present life, and refused to consider earnestly, uh, and refused to consider eternity earnestly at all, and, and to repent of their sins, or to turn to Yeshua the Messiah. Many of them, in this vision, were churchgoers, but they refused to be reconciled to God, and truly repent and surrender their lives to Yeshua as Lord. Salvation is about being restored to God's presence by the atoning blood of Yeshua. But that's not how salvation is 
presented today in, in, in many churches and in many synagogues, uh, on TV and on YouTube ministries. Rather, salvation today is sold as come to God to get stuff. Come to God to get forgiveness. Come to God to get heaven. Come to God to get your best life now. Uh, come to God to get prosperity, success. Come to God to get safety and abundance, health and wealth. Come to God to get all these things. No. We don't come to God to get stuff. We come to God to get God. He is the one we need. He is the one we want. You cannot have your best life without Him at the center. Everything flows from Yeshua. Yeshua is the fountain from which life flows. And so we want him. Today on Rosh Hashanah, we proclaim, we want you, Yeshua. Apart from you, Yeshua, the Messiah, we can do nothing. Oh, and what stops us from him? Our sin. And so on these high holy days, we are called to repent and to return to him. That's what the shofar represents. But too often, again, in many churches and synagogues today, the goal is simply to make you happy. And, of course, never make you uncomfortable uh, by talking about sin or repentance. The goal is to maximize attendance and, therefore, never to offend anyone. So they adapt their message uh, from itching ears and take away the true power of redemption the blood of the lamb and repentance by by turning from sin and and from self uh, and wholly committing your life to Yeshua. Today, this watered-down gospel, sadly, is the trend in many, many ministries. The modern congregation will entertain you, will have fun programs, uh, will have happy songs, but they're flirting with the, what I'm going to call the seductive spirit of Delilah. Uh, and if we do this, our, our conscience will become seared and will become a prime target for deception. Uh, we, won't be, we won't be able to shake ourselves free because we won't even know that the anointing has left us. Look at Judges 16, verse 20. And Delilah, she's lulled Samson to sleep, called off a man to, to shave off his seven locks of hair, And then his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awakened from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free of them. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson flirted with Delilah until until the secret of his power was cut off. Like many churches and synagogues today, he didn't realize his anointing had left him until it was too late. The secret of Samson's power was his long hair. The secret of the believer's power is repentance and total reliance on Yeshua and walking in his fear and holiness. Delilah bewitched Samson. Cheap grace, uh, the preaching of forgiveness without repentance, is bewitching the body of Messiah today. Uh, Listen to what uh, Bonhoeffer said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. Grace is costly because it costs a man his life. It's grace because it gives a man his only true life. And so in light of the the watered-down state of the body of Messiah in America today, on this Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to say that God is telling us that we need revival. What is revival? When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths... And utter godless words, lest the judgment of God should fall. When sinners are overwhelmed and overawed by God's presence, and then they tremble in the streets and they cry out for mercy. And the Holy Spirit sweeps across congregations and cities and towns in supernatural power and holds people in the grip of, of terrifying conviction. When every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar. Every home, a sanctuary. And people walk about humbly before God. This is revival. Revival, it's a term that's often misused today, especially here in the South. 
It is not some specially planned meetings of, of entertaining music and, uh, and, and special guest speakers. No. Revival is an awareness of God, an awareness that, that grips whole congregations and denominations and communities. The roadside, uh, the shop, even the tavern, as well as the church and synagogue, become places where men find Messiah. In revival, uh, the Spirit of God, like a cleansing fire, sweeps through a community. Divine conviction grips people everywhere. Strongholds of Satan tremble. Nightclubs, bars, raves, uh, so-called gentlemen's clubs, drug houses, abortion clinics, adult theaters, they close their doors. Multitudes turn to Yeshua. For example, uh, over a hundred years ago, the great American revival of 1857, the Spirit of God swept through the land and, and particularly through New England and became a center of another great awakening resulting in vast numbers finding salvation. Tremendous conviction of sin swept through the land. Thousands turned to Yeshua. Drunkards, right as they stood at the saloon bar. Uh, gamblers, as they played at their card tables. Congregations, as they sat in their pews. Even passengers on board incoming liners came under the influence of this powerful move of God. And kneeling in repentance, they found pardon and grace and freedom from their sin. Dance halls, uh, burlesque theaters, uh, gambling dens closed or emptied. New congregations sprung up. Family altars were restored. Uh, And the spirit of prayer grew in such intensity uh, that, that midday prayer meetings, Monday through Friday, were being held in every town throughout New England. And then a little bit later on, the Welsh Revival, 1904. You know, in this revival, there were none of the typical accoutrements. There were no hymn books, no choirs, no church organs, not even any special advertising. You know, today, when we sing, we sing as if it would not be respectable to be heard by the person next to us. But when the Welsh sing, they abandon themselves to their singing. Wales was a blaze for God. Churches and Bible studies were overflowing. Uh, daily family devotionals uh, became the norm. Over 50,000 converts were recorded in one year in, the, in this small area. It swept over hamlets and towns, emptied saloons and dance halls, and filled congregations night after night with praying multitudes. Everywhere you would go in Wales, to the bank, uh, to the store, to the train, people were talking about God. It was a divine visitation in which God says, see what I can do when you depend on me. See what I can do through a praying people, wholly committed to me. Indeed, so great was the fear of God, so great was the conviction of sin that gripped the people, that in many communities, crime disappeared. The magistrates had no cases to hear. The post office uh, ran out of money orders, uh, money order slips, because people sought to make restitution and to repay their debts. Saloons and theaters closed. Whole bookstores uh, sold out of Bibles. Members of parliament, busy attending revival services, canceled their political meetings. (laughs) Traveling theatrical troops uh, found no audiences. Why? Everyone was home, praying. Temperance workers saw the Holy Spirit accomplish more in three months than they had accomplished in 40 years. This is revival. It is a mighty, sovereign move of God in answer to the cries of men and women and children who have been on their knees, prevailing in prayer before the Lord. It's a visitation of God through the Holy Spirit that pours out conviction of sin upon the ungodly until multitudes have turned to the Messiah, Yeshua. Revival closes the doors of, 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 iniquity, of dens of iniquity. It transforms lives and homes. It restores marriages. It reconciles parents and children. It fills congregations. It causes the influence of biblical values to be felt throughout whole communities. Uh, so my question to us today 
My question on this Rosh Hashanah, this Feast of Trumpets, is can this happen again today? Can these scenes from past revivals be repeated? Can the Lord send a similar revival in our day? Perhaps the last great revival before the return of Messiah? And my conviction is yes. My conviction is, in fact, is Yeshua is just waiting to turn loose his spirit of revival upon America and upon the Messianic movement in particular, which uniquely combines the gospel and Torah. Uh, and the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Yeah. And indeed, as the time of the Gentiles comes to a close, God promises in his word, all Israel shall be saved. Yeah. Do you at time want to be part of this revival? Yeah. Then what are the preconditions? What are the conditions for this happening? Very simple. The Lord is looking for men and women and children who will stand before him in holiness and prayer and faith as the foundation upon which he will build his last great days, end times, Messianic Jewish revival. God tells us plainly in his word what the preconditions are for revival. So turn with me to the famous verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. My holy brothers and sisters of Etzchayim, we need to covenant with the Lord to take upon ourselves this burden, to humble ourselves and to seek the face of God and to repent from our iniquity and our, and our wayward hearts and to travail and to prevail in prayer until revival comes. Now, what do I mean when I say we need to covenant uh, with the Lord? You know, in the ancient Mideast, when two tribal chiefs uh, wished to enter into a covenant, they would do one of two things. Either they would sacrifice an animal and cut them in half and walk between the pieces, or they would each cut a vein in their arms and put their arms together, arm to arm, uh, and mingle their blood. And from that point on, they became as one, uh, bound together by an indissolvable bond, stronger than any other earthly tie. And to prove their unity, they'd often blend their names together. Like God did with Abraham, right? When he took, God took the letter Hey from his holy name, from his divine name, and added it uh, to Avram, you know, making him Avraham. So let's read Genesis 17:5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Avram, but thy name shall be Avraham. This covenant is of tremendous value, uh, was of tremendous value to the smaller tribe, because from then on, it gained the, the power and the prestige and, and the resources of the more powerful tribe, the more powerful covenant partner. So when attacked by an enemy, uh, the, the smaller tribe's greatest weapon was to cry out the mighty name that he now bore of his stronger covenant partner. And enemies know that, that the one called upon would immediately respond and come to the other's aid. Uh, so the enemy no longer just comes against the, the smaller tribe but also the mighty forces of the powerful tribe into which the smaller tribe has now entrusted this covenant relationship. And the more powerful chief, in turn, he lays down conditions which the smaller tribe must obey. In return, the smaller tribe has now has the right to call upon its powerful friend in any emergency, knowing he'll come immediately to his aid. Thus, the ancient Mideast blood covenant, you know, for the smaller tribe has opened up a whole new realm of power and victory and achievement, otherwise impossible. In the same way, Second Chronicles 7.14, the Lord, the great covenant-keeping God, he has laid down conditions for us, whereby, you know, we who are, who are called by his name can enter into a covenant, with, a covenant of prayer with him, whereby a whole new realm of power is open up for us a covenant whereby when we faithfully, humbly, in repentance, call upon the Lord, God is now bound by his own word 
He promises from heaven to forgive our sins and to heal our land. Notice in 2 Chronicles 7.14, one of the conditions is that we must also turn from our wicked ways. Psalm 24, uh, beginning of verse 3, says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not put their trust in idols or swear falsely, they'll receive a blessing from the Lord uh, and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Yaakov. That's Chaim. On this Rosh Hashanah, let's ask ourselves, do we qualify to ascend the hill of the Lord and to stand in his holy place? Ask yourself today, do I have clean hands? Do I have a pure heart? And if not, I want to encourage you today and during these 10 days of awe, ending on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to confess your sin. And to repent, uh, to flee from sin, to renounce it, to turn from it, to turn back to the Lord, uh, to travail in prayer, uh, and, and rededicate your life wholly to Yeshua. Let me be plain. A born-again believer, a Yeshua follower, is a person who has a new heart and a new spirit from God. Once you receive Yeshua, you therefore receive new desires. You begin to hate what God hates. And to love what God loves. And so this habitual desire to sin is removed from you. And you receive a new life and a new nature through the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And therefore, if today you love sin and you make every effort to enjoy sin, this may be evidence that the Spirit of God does not dwell within you. The proof of a new birth is a new life. Because what you do proceeds out of who you are. I'm this Rosh Hashanah. The Lord is therefore calling us back to holiness. And to fear of the Lord. To denying ourselves, To taking up our cross. And to following Yeshua. In a word, God is calling us to supremely love him. Above all else. Above all others. Today, however, many of us have a radically defective faith. So ask yourself today, as the, as the books are opened in heaven, on Rosh Hashanah, according to tradition, to record the Lord's judgment uh, for, the, for the coming year, we are exhorted in the scriptures to examine ourselves. And so ask yourself, is Yeshua the center of my life? Or am I trying to fit him in uh, to my own, for my own happiness? The problem for many of us today is a false teaching that is rampant that says you can take Yeshua as your Savior, but you don't need him as your Lord. As if he could somehow be divided. However, if you actually do a word study uh, on the word Lord, you find it's listed over 400 times in the New Covenant Scriptures. Whereas the word Savior appears only 15 times. The New Covenant Scriptures consistently called Yeshua our Lord and Savior. His Lordship always has preeminence in the Scriptures. But tragically today, many preachers try to make his Lordship optional. That is not the Gospel. My friends, either your heart is set on serving Yeshua supremely, or your heart is set on serving yourself supremely. There is no middle ground. Either you belong to Messiah or you do not. So these are the scriptural conditions for revival. Humbling ourselves, fervently praying and seeking God's face, and turning from our wicked ways. If we will covenant with God to do these things, he promises in his word to bring tremendous revival. Listen to this account from the New Hebrides revival from the early 1950s led by Duncan Campbell. And and this is the description. Uh, Buses came from the four corners of the island of the New Hebrides, uh, crowding the assembly hall. Seven men in a butcher's truck suddenly experienced the Spirit of God fall on them uh, with great conviction of sin. 
And they were all converted even before reaching the church. As the preacher delivered the message, tremendous conviction of sin fell upon the people. Uh, Tears rolled down their faces. From every pew came shouts of men and women and children crying out for mercy. So loud were some of these wails that they could be heard from out of the road. When the meeting ended, outside the church, a young man began to pray. Under a tremendous burden of intercession, he prayed for three quarters of an hour. And a crowd started gathering outside the church. They then streamed back inside the building and worshipped till 4 a.m. The moment the people took their seats, the Spirit of God swept through the hall with great conviction. Hardened sinners began to weep and confess their sins. As the meeting ended, a messenger ran in and told the preacher, Come with me. There's a crowd of people outside the police station weeping in awful distress. They're calling for someone to come and pray with them. When Duncan Campbell arrived at the police station, he said, I saw a sight I will never forget. Under the starlit sky, men, women, and children in prayer everywhere. Uh, by the roadside, outside the cottages, even behind the peat stacks, crying for God to have mercy upon them. Now, these 600 people who had been making their way to the church suddenly stopped. The Spirit of God fell upon them with great conviction, and like Paul, on the road to Damascus, causing them to fall on their knees in repentance. Revival swept through this island. Duncan Campbell had to conduct four services a night, as men, women, and children uh, throughout the island uh, began to grip God uh, in desperate intercession uh, and in prayer for revival and the Spirit of God to swept on increasing in power. In one town called Arnal, there was much spiritual indifference. Hardly a young person ever darkened the hearts of God. They spent their Sabbaths at the drinking house or, or poaching or other sinful pleasures. In desperation, though, a little band of believers made their way to a farmhouse to plead the promises of God. One man rose up uh, to his feet, and he prayed this prayer. We'll put it on the overhead. He prayed, Lord, you made a promise. Are you going to fulfill it? I believe you are a covenant-keeping God. Will you be true to your covenant? You said you pour water upon him who's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Lord, I tell you from my heart, I am thirsty. Oh, I am thirsty for your manifestation of your your presence and your power. Lord, your honor is at stake. Bring it to pass. Here was a man of bold, committed faith. Here was a man who believed God and his word, who dared to stand firm upon the promises of God. And then the answer came. The house literally shook like a leaf, just like in the book of Acts. Divine power swept through this little farmhouse. At the same time, the Spirit of God swept through this previously hardened and and stubborn village of Arnal. People couldn't sleep. Houses were lit up all night. People walked the streets in great conviction. Others knelt before their bedside, crying out for God to forgive them, to pardon them. As this little band of prayer warriors uh, left their prayer meeting, they found eight people on their knees crying out to God for mercy. Within 48 hours, uh, the drinking house, usually packed to the brim, was closed. The 14 young men who had actually been drinking right there on the spot were, were gloriously converted. These same 14 young men could now be found three times a week at prayer meetings, praying for their old associates. In this one village, within 48 hours after the revival began, nearly every young person between the age of 12 and 20 had surrendered their life to Yeshua. And every young man between 18 and 35 could be found at the weekly prayer meeting. Revival swept the island. Everywhere people became under great conviction of sin. Fishermen out on their boats. Women uh, behind their looms. Men at a pit bank. Uh, a merchant in his truck. School teachers grading papers. were all gripped by God 
and started streaming simultaneously to the church at midday. Many wept, fell to the ground in great conviction. So great was the move of God that not a home, not a family, not a classroom or an office escaped the conviction of God. And the whole island stopped at their routine business. Thank you. Everything, everything stopped upon the island to seek the face of God. Just like Nineveh at the preaching of Jonah. The New Hebrides islands were changed. Lives transformed. Even the fishing fleet uh, took with them a minister to lead them out in prayers and singing hymns upon the boats. Now, what was the number one characteristic of this revival? Deep uh, consciousness of the presence and the holiness of God. Sinners overawed by God's presence. They would fall helplessly, crying out for mercy. The shop became a pulpit, uh, the home a sanctuary, uh, the every heart an altar. And whenever there's a manifestation of the presence and the holiness of God, there was also repentance and great conviction of sin and revelation of one's sin. This is the number one sign of God at work. God touching hearts. And behind revival, there was always, always, always a faithful group of men and women, and yes, even children, praying night and day, standing in the gap, Crying out for revival. These prayer warriors had absolute faith in a covenant-keeping God. Indeed, God has made a covenant promise. Look again, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. A covenant is a solemn agreement binding on both parties. And if God is a covenant-keeping God, and he is, then if we do our part, he promises to do his. God is true to his word. You can depend upon him. The Lord wants to send revival to heal our land. But we must do our part as well. We must humble ourselves. We must pray diligently, seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways. A group of committed believers in the New Hebrides, they prayed prayed three times a week for months on end before the revival ever came. And that is true for every revival. Every night they knelt down, Renewing their faith by remembering God's promises. And then an absolute conviction declaring their faith, their belief in the, in the coming revival. Nothing could weaken their confidence that the Lord would answer their prayer and fulfill his covenant promises. They also humbled themselves. Uh, they committed themselves to holiness and then the fear of the Lord. Again, Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend God's hill? That stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. As this prayer group in the Hebrides uh, uh, recited this psalm, it was like words of flame falling from the lips of a holy God. Every word seemed to burn in the very depths of the hearts of these men and women and children who were gathering to do business with God. They were willing to pay the price for revival. Let's put on the overhead. What is the price of revival? Brokenness before God. An emptying of self. A forsaking of all sin. An eternal surrender to the Lord and to his purposes. Every revival that has ever broken forth on the face of this earth has been preceded by the people of God upon their knees on their faces, travailing and interceding before the Lord. For long, weary month upon month, undeterred, undeterred by the seeming silence of God, undeterred by others' indifference, undeterred by the world's wickedness, the men and women and children of New Hebrides faithfully travailed before God in prayer. In agony of soul, they cried out to the Lord. Now, these were not half-hearted, sentimental, half-doubting prayers. No. 
They wrestled with God, like Jacob at Peniel. Uh, They battled spiritual opposition, uh, like Daniel with the prince of Persia. They drew upon all the spiritual energy and power, and they pled the blood of Messiah. Um, One was reminded of of, of Yeshua's prayers as they pray, from from Hebrews 5, verse 7. It says, during the days of of Yeshua's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, listen to that, to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. The men who covenanted to stand in the gap for revival, they prayed. We at Chaim must do the same. We must storm the throne of God with burning passion, with heartfelt, agonizing concern for the lost, with absolute confidence in God. We must pray until we travail. Uh, you know, when Zion travailed, she, she brought forth. And travail until we prevail before the Lord. We must weep and confess and cry out and fast and intercede and pray until the Lord answers. The Lord desires to send revival to his people Israel. He wants to use us at Eskayim if we will do our part and fulfill his covenant requirements of humility, prayer, seeking God's face with total abandonment and turning from our wicked ways. If we truly want revival, we need to get down to business with God. And this is going to demand confession of sin, turning from all wickedness, forsaking all of our ungodly habits, and an utter surrender to Messiah Yeshua. Revival must become our dominating desire. We must give up our idols. We must get rid of all the ungodly things that, that we hide in our tents, uh, like Achan did at Jericho, lest it bring God's judgment. The Lord is looking for hearts that are broken, whose, eye, uh, whose eyes are red with weeping before him. Psalm 51, verse 17. Uh, My sacrifice is, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. Uh, Eliyahu, Elijah, stood before God for a backslidden Israel until the fire from heaven fell and the altars of Baal were torn down and the nation returned to God. And down through the centuries, men who have dared to stand before the Lord in holy desperation for their people's sins heard their prayers answered because they prayed until God was moved from his holy temple to send revival. The last condition laid down for revival is for we who are God's people to turn from our wicked ways, to stand on holy ground, We must first be a holy people. It's here where real heart searching, each of us, must take place. Because we all have wicked ways before the eyes of God. But we very lightly esteem these ways, don't we? We easily give in to our flesh. And like Achan, uh, we bring these forbidden things into our tent. Uh, We cover them up. We make excuses to justify our sin. But what does Hebrews 4.13 say? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We may cover things up from our fellow man, but nothing is hidden from God. As God convicts you of various habits uh, and attitudes uh, and speech, Are you willing to turn from them? What is it today that separates you from experiencing the fullness of God's presence and peace and power? It is sin. And so you must repent. I must repent. Not because you got caught. Not because you suffered bad consequences. But you must repent and grieve and weep over sin because it keeps you from God. It keeps you from from the beauty and the joy and the delight 
and the wonder and the satisfaction that is found in the Lord, in Yeshua. That's what leads to godly sorrow. That's what leads to weeping over sin. Not when we say, well, if I do this, I'll have bad consequences. No, because it separates you from God. That must be your motive for turning from sin. It separates you from Messiah Yeshua, your Lord who died for you. Messiah Yeshua, he is the Lord, right? Romans ten thirteen, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But when we go on sinning, what are we doing? We're trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. God has come to us in Yeshua. He died to atone for your sins and mine. He rose from the grave in victory over sin. So that all who repent and who trust in him can be forgiven their sin and reconciled to God. So Yeshua, he's the only means by which we can be reconciled to God. And anyone who calls upon the name of Yeshua in faith will be saved. And then he'll live through you by his spirit. If you trust in Yeshua, he promises to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. So that the very presence of God lives in you. So let me ask you, how can you be comfortable with sin when the Spirit of God lives in you? Run from your sin. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Weep over everything and anything that would rob you of the joy that's found in the presence of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. And Rosh Hashanah, the books of God's judgment are opened. Judgment is coming. But the Lord is a stronghold to all those who take refuge in Messiah Yeshua. So on this Rosh Hashanah, turn from your sin. Turn from your own self. Turn to Yeshua for your redemption. What is redemption? Let me close with this story about redemption. Messianic rabbi of mine, friend of mine, he recently uh, took his little kid uh, for his birthday to a place called Chuck E. Cheese's. Ever hear of this place? <laughs> it's, I guess it's a uh, popular birthday place. I'm told you do not go there for the food. <laughs> but the kids get all these tokens uh, to play various arcade games, uh, like uh, whack-a-mole, uh, race car driver, skee-ball. And as you score various points in these games, if you've ever been there, you'll know little tickets come out that you've won from the machines. And the kids collect these tickets uh, for the next several hours where they're playing. And then as you're leaving, it hits you what all these tickets are for. As you walk out, there's a place called the Redemption Counter. So imagine you're a little kid. You walk up to the Redemption Counter with your mom and dad. You've got all these tickets in your hand. You look up at the very top shelf. You see this huge stuffed bear. <laughs> Bigger than you. You say, I want that. 80,000 tickets. <laughs> you look up at your mom. You look at your dad. I want the big bear. Your dad says, I'm sorry. You don't have nearly enough tickets for that, son. <laughs> so your eyes, then they drop down to the, the next count, to the next shelf. You see a lava lamp. <laughs> The most useless thing ever invented. <laughs> Throw back to the 1970s. But you say, oh, I want the lava lamp. Sorry, 40,000 tickets. <laughs> Way over your price range. So your eyes drop down to the very bottom of the redemption counter. There's this little dinky display case. You see things there, in there like an eraser. <laughs> Not even a pencil, just, just an eraser. <laughs> But, of course, if you combine your tickets with all your friends' tickets, you can actually get the pencil, too. <laughs> Probably one of the most depressing moments in a child's life. <laughs> you spend hours playing skee-ball, and all you've got to show for it is this little eraser. <laughs> As you wistfully look up into the top shelf and see the stuffed bear, <laughs> keep this picture in mind. And now turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, because we're going to see the throne room of God in heaven. And the unveiling of the scroll with seven seals containing God's plan for our final redemption. So here at this counter, the stakes are much higher. The top shelf is the redemption of mankind and the end of sin and the new heavens and the new earth and the ushering in of the millennial kingdom. 
And then there's this roll call in heaven. Revelation 5.2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who has enough tickets? Imagine now Abraham coming forward. Father Abraham, father of the Jewish people. Abraham, do you have enough tickets? No. Next comes Moses. He comes forward. You know, who proclaimed the Torah, the God's law to the people of Israel. Do you have enough tickets? No. And then prophet after prophet comes forward. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elijah. No one has enough tickets to open the scroll. Then we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, the writers of the New Covenant Scriptures. None of them have enough tickets. Revelation 5, verse 3. But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Could Mohammed? Buddha? Billy Graham? Oprah? (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) And then there's you and me. And we look down at our hands. We don't even have any tickets. (laughs) And so the Apostle John, he sees this vision in heaven and he weeps. Because no one is worthy. Revelation 5, verse 5. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and see at its seven seals. Yeshua is the conquering lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. We sang it this morning. Right? The root of David. But he's also more. Look at verse 6, Revelation 5. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne of God. In the center before the throne. What a picture. A a suffering lamb. Do you catch that? A a, a lamb slain. A lamb that looks as if it had been sacrificed. But it's standing in the very center of God's throne. What a shock. A lamb. A lion. A a lion-like lamb. We find that Yeshua... And only Yeshua can fulfill the ultimate purpose. Verse 7, Revelation 5, verse 7. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Can you picture the scene? We're all standing there with our dinky little tickets in our hands. We can't do it. Uh, We long for full redemption, but we have nothing to bring to the table. But then one steps up and says... I have enough tickets. I've paid it all. Yeshua has paid it all. And he is the one who ushers in redemptive history. This is where all eternity is headed. And a magnificent song of praise now breaks out in heaven. Because Yeshua deserves our praise. Revelation 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song. Saying, you are worthy. To take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain. And by your blood you purchased for God. You purchased members of every tribe and language and people and nation. Our song will be new. It will be never ending. From every tribe and tongue and people group and race and nation. All the, all the ransomed of Yeshua will forever sing his praises. And then this leads to the very, very end of Scripture. Look at Revelation 22. We'll close with this, uh, verse 1. Then the angel uh, um, showed me uh, the river of water, the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, uh, down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer would there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They'll see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll not need the night, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord will give them light, 
and they will reign with him forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. This is our hope, this Rosh Hashanah, as we abide in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Don't the music team to please come on up. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Let's pray the Lord. Father, on this holy day of Rosh Hashanah, of Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, Lord, we come before you, and today we covenant to stand upon your word and your promises. We come before you in humility and repentance. We seek your face. We cry out to you in intercession for our people Israel, whom you, when your word promises, will be saved. And we turn from our wicked ways. By the blood of Yeshua, we ask you to transform us, to take away our heart of stone, to give us a heart of flesh, to cleanse and purify us by the atoning sacrifice of Messiah, by your death, Yeshua, on the cross, and your resurrection for us. So, Lord, now, not based on our merits, for we have none. We have no tickets. But because of your merit, Yeshua, we cry out to you, give us clean hands and a pure heart, that we may ascend your holy hill, we may stand in your holy place. Lord Yeshua, we confess today, we come to you not to get prosperity. We come to you not to get health and wealth, not to get our best life now. And not to get stuff. We come to you to get you, Lord. Only you. You are our life, Yeshua. We love you. We want you. We need you. Above all things, Lord, we desire you. We long for you. We seek you. We ache for you. We are lovesick for you, Lord, because you, Yeshua, are our bridegroom, God. And we cry out for more of you. We cry out for revival. We cry out for more of your spirit. Lord, fall upon us here in Eschayim. Lord, pour out your spirit now upon us. Pour your your spirit upon Dallas, Fort Worth. Pour your spirit upon your people, Israel. Lord, fall upon us in conviction of sin. Help us to have a spirit of brokenness and repentance before you. A broken and contrite heart, Lord, you tell us you will not despise. And so, Lord, we turn from our sin and we turn from ourself. And we turn to you, Yeshua, our Messiah, because you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the root of David. You are the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And we sing a new song to you. We praise and worship and honor and glorify you. And we pray you alone are worthy. And we pray this all in your holy and worthy name, Yeshua. Amen. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come.